Well, for those of you who are just here, you need to know this is, we're considering February our month on mission. We are on mission this month. Really, we're supposed to be on mission all the time. But we're emphasizing the mission that Jesus Christ gave to his church to make disciples of people, of men and women of all nations. There's a sense in which what you saw this morning is where we've been heading in this series, the 29th chapter, all along. It's about being serious about what we do on Sunday mornings. Either this is of supreme importance or it is utterly ridiculous that we're here. It's one or the other. There's really no in-between. It's of supreme importance and or utterly ridiculous. And what we're saying on these Sunday mornings is it's not about just Sunday morning. It's all life. All of life needs to be consumed with our relationship with Christ and, and fulfilling the mission that He has given us out of a heart of, of gratitude, not a heart of, oh, I better do this so I'll be okay with God. That is complicated by the fact that we are insecure people. All of our efforts to, to serve the Lord are, are complicated by the fact that we are insecure. I'm convinced every single one of us is insecure, really insecure when you think about it. And before you argue with me, um, just consider how much we, we seek to cover our weaknesses and fool people about who we really are and how much we want to convince ourselves that we are in control and large and in charge kind of people. That's who we not only want to project ourselves to be, that's who we want to be in control. Some people say, I'm scared. Others say, I'm, I'm not scared of anything. Some people say, I am so stupid. And others say, you're so right. No, no, that's what I meant. That's not, I didn't mean to say that. I am trying to break myself of the habit of saying, that was just brilliant, brilliant, which, of course, I don't mean brilliant. All day long, I say to myself, that was brilliant, Brad. And so some of us are like that. Others are like, hey. You wanted to know, you should have just asked me. I could have told you. Why didn't you come to me? I mean, we get how fear reveals insecurity. We often are unaware, though, that this extreme bravado masks a need to always show strength and control that is rooted in a deep fear of failure or the need to feel superior in order to prove God's worth. Now, God wants the fearful to trust Him. We're reading about instructions to a man today, Timothy, who was quite fearful. And those instructions were written to a guy who was quite not, by, by a guy who was quite not, Paul. Um, and, and God wants the fearful to trust him, and he warns the proud that he has a way of taking the wind out of their sails, or as my dad used to say, all right, boy, I'm going to take the starch out of your britches if you don't watch out. <clears throat> Greg and I were talking about that the other day. He remembered it. Some of you remember that phrase. Not many of you do, but some of you do. Well, because of the fall, we're going to talk more about the fall in a few minutes. Because of the fall, we have some misconceptions about life. For instance, we think we're going to live forever. Now, I know that some of you have been dying for 30 years, but, but take, take, take courage. You're the one that's going to live to be 100, right? You heard about the hypochondriac that put on his tombstone, I told you I was sick. He was buried right next to the businessman who said, I made a lot of good deals in life, but I went in the hole on this one. <laughs> sure went in the hole on this one. Um, look, and look, 
They tell preachers never to joke about death from the pulpit, and I, I get that. This Tuesday night, we were at Campbell University. Stanley Harawas from Duke was there. And he was talking about the intersection of, of medicine and theology. And he said, you know, he's got this voice that doesn't fit his persona, but it sure. And he says, he says one of the things that we think about because of modern medicine is that somehow we're going to get out of this life alive. And we do. We tend to think we're going to live forever. We're not going to live forever. That's a misconception. Another misconception that we have based on our insecurity is that this family, this company, this church, this team, you fill in the blank, this bunch cannot do without me. I am indispensable. If I go, there goes the whole business. Even if we don't have that popular misconception, we often are convinced that no one can do the job as well as we can. I mean, if you want a a second-rate job, let somebody else do it. It's the old thing. Should have called me. Should have called me. I could have done it right. Related to this misconception is the concern that if I train someone to do the same thing I am doing, he may actually be better at it than I am, and my job may thus be in jeopardy. Now, the sad reality is because everybody else is just as insecure as we are, that could be true. And so, when we are tasked with training such a person, we may find ourselves putting up walls of protection, holding back on helping the other person advance too much. Why? Because I'm going to live forever, and I need this job. I need this position, I need the recognition, I need the affirmation that I am okay. I need to know that I am important in the big scheme of things. Our insecurities can make us very difficult people, people that others are forced to endure. But because we have been made new creations in Christ, all of that has passed if you're a Christian, right? Well, It should be that we're different people because of Jesus. But we have to remember that we live in a fallen world. And and those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we've repented of our sins and we put our trust. Even though we've been given new hearts, we still have the old heart as well. We are affected by the, the entire curse that's on the creation since Adam and Eve sinned and We are still who we were before Christ, although we are somebody different as well. God's design for his children, though, is for us to grow in Christ and thus become more and more like Jesus. And when our security is in him, we don't think about those insecurities so much. Now, God's story is what we have been talking about in this series that's titled The 29th Chapter. You may think that I review this every week, and I I just touch on it just a little bit, but I I look back, and it's been way back in November since we went through a little bit of a review. Um, If we know about God in a relational way, through Scripture and through Jesus, then it's absolutely necessary. If, if, If how we determine our relationship to God is through Jesus and through His Word, then we have to become familiar with the Bible in order to understand how to relate to the Lord, both before and after we trust Jesus for salvation. Because if we're not careful, those insecurities that plague us will keep us from from fulfilling the mission of God. 
He's told us not only how to relate to him in salvation when we come to Christ, but he's also told us how we're supposed to live. And our insecurities keep us from living that way. This series is all about understanding where we fit in God's story. He's got a story that started before the world ever began, and it is going to be fulfilled according to his plan. But we have a responsibility to take our place in, along with the roles that he has given to us and to fulfill them according to his desire. Understanding our place in God's story is made much easier because of the story of the storyline that we discern in Scripture. And this storyline is all the way through Scripture, and we see it in life, in our own lives, and we see it in the world over and over. The storyline of Scripture is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created all that exists in the universe. Everything that is, He created. Over and over in Genesis, when we see God creating the heavens and the earth, and then the animal life, and plant life, and and he's separating the night from the day. And he, time and again, he says, God saw it. The Bible says God saw it, and it was good. Then when he creates man and woman, he looks back and says, he looks over all his creation, and he says, it's very good. When Jesus was on the earth, he affirmed that God loves men and women above all of his creation. Now, there are a lot of people who don't think that that's true today. In California, years ago, a dog was killed and a person was killed in a car wreck and the dog was injured or something and there were far more calls asking about the dog than there were the, the, the person. I don't remember the details, but you know those kinds of stories that happen. But Jesus said, no, you're far more precious. The Father cares deeply about the sparrow, but he cares so much more about you. In spite of all the beauty that God gave to Adam and Eve, they disobeyed him in the one command they were given. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look, Adam and Eve were just like children today. I mean, Audrey, our grandchild, Michael and Laura's uh, daughter who is two years old, just two years old, um, is trying to find her place now that Emily has arrived in the world. Sister Emmy. She loves little Emmy. She loves her quite, you know. She loves her a lot. Let's just put it that way. Um, but, you know, a child, a, a two-year-old child, just tell a child not to do this, and what's the first thing they're going to do? Well, you know, Adam and Eve were the same way. Well, they weren't really until Satan said, hey, what's the deal? You know, I, I've thought about this this week, and this will be, I'm sure I'll develop this some, uh, further some point. Over and over in life, we, especially in our enlightened age, the era of enlightenment that started 500 years ago or more, and, and especially in America where we can figure everything out, you just punch it, punch in the formula, and it all comes out. We want to make sense of everything. And there's a whole lot of, of teaching in Scripture that says, quit trying to make sense of it, just trust. I've had two people this week, my age, tell me the same thing that I would have to say. In the last two to three years, I've faced things that I never did before in my life, and I never dreamed I would go through this, never. 
And you know what? Sense cannot be made out of everything. You've just got to trust. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. You know, God says, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And Satan says, did God really tell you? He knows that when you eat of that, and they're trying to make sense of all this. Well, that's right. That's right. And so they eat, and their eyes are opened. And we do a lot of foolish things, don't we? Trying to make sense of things. Well, I'm developing it right now, even as I stand here in my mind. Better move on. When Adam and Eve disobeyed that one command, all of God's creation was instantly put into another state, a cursed or a fallen state. Now, does that mean that all beauty in the world disappeared and all goodness in in mankind immediately disappeared? No. This is God's good creation. And we're made in the image of God, capable of doing amazing things, whether or not we belong to Jesus. But everything is marred. It's stained. You know, you can go to a formal dinner with the stain on your jacket or your shirt or your dress, but you don't want to. You want to get it cleaned up. Well... Because of the fall, we have briars and weeds and hurricanes and earthquakes. We still do things that we know are wrong. We get sick and die way before our time, and we will always be somewhat suspicious of others. If you've lived long enough, most certainly you have had someone that you love and trusted very deeply betray that love and trust. It's just, we live in a fallen world. But there is good news yet. There is redemption in Jesus. As we've recently learned, Jesus didn't come to save us from ourselves. He came to save us from the wrath of God. We tend to think that we're good people, and as long as we don't mess things up, everything's going to be all right. But we're condemned when we are born. Adam and Eve passed that sin down to us. And a holy and righteous God must judge sin. He has no choice. He has to. So when Jesus came, he stood in the way of God's wrath. And when he died on the cross, he took our sins. And all who will acknowledge that their sin is exactly what God says it is. And look, when you feel like, I guarantee you, here at this church, other churches, you've heard people speak and you say, how do you know about me? Somebody told him about me. What do you talk, how, how dare you talk about me like that? It's not. It's not me. It's not anybody. It's God talking to you, saying, this is your sin. And when you agree with God, this, my sin, is exactly what you say it is, worthy of punishment in hell for eternity. And then when you believe that what Jesus did on the cross was payment for your sin, and you put all of your trust in Jesus' sacrifice for your salvation, then you become A child of God. That's what redemption means. Jesus' death on the cross has a positive impact for all creation. But not all will be saved. Nor is redemption for those who are saved yet complete. One day, both all of creation and all those who belong to Jesus will be restored to the state that existed before Adam and Eve sinned 
And when men and women believe, we, our, our mission as a church, I'm sorry, our mission as a church is to explain God's redemption to others in the fullest possible terms. And when men and women believe the truth of the gospel, the plan is for them to become more and more like Jesus. That's what he's designed. Romans 8 talks about God's design is for us to be transformed, conformed to the image of Christ. This storyline in Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, restoration, is another way of stating the gospel, and the story goes on. The gospel is far more than the plan of salvation, though. It's all of God's truth. And in two weeks, at the end of this month on mission, when it seems like everything's frenzied, we're going to stop and talk about the need for Sabbath and the need to remember and to regain the all of God in this whole big picture. It's not just activity. The more we look at Christ, the more we're prepared to fulfill the mission of God. And the more we fulfill the mission of God to the detriment of our time with Christ, the further we get from where exactly He wants us to be. Now, I reviewed all of this where we are for two reasons. One, many of you are new to grace, and, and it's important that you have context for where we're heading. And though I've often touched on this, like I say, it's been a while since we, we've, we've looked at this, this fully. Second, many of you have been here for the entire series, and it's important that you remember the context for where we're heading. Why? Because our insecurities remind us how deeply the fall has impacted us. And we need to be reminded, we cannot be reminded enough, in fact, about the need for us to preach the gospel to ourselves every single day and live in the truth of the gospel. The gospel very much impacts our disciple-making, both for the non-believers and believers alike. As we're making others, we need to live in the truth of the gospel, not just tell somebody else about the gospel. Our text this morning is 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 2, 7. It's about God's design for our mission, which is making disciples. Instead of standing and reading the text as we typically do, I'm going to pray and then please remain seated as we just work through this text and we conclude with a practical way of understanding and accomplishing God's design, His mission for Grace Community Church. So let's, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, we come to you this day recognizing, acknowledging that your word is truth. We also recognize that it cannot be understood apart from the Spirit of God. Oh, we may get some of the technical things that are being said, but, but it is not going to be understood at the level you intended unless the Holy Spirit is opening our hearts and eyes to the truth of your word. And so we Pray that that's exactly what you will do. Cause us to be receptive and then responsive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we begin reading, <clears throat> let me give you the context. You, you, you need to know that, that what we're reading is the last recorded letter of the Apostle Paul. He's writing to his protege, Timothy. The Apostle Paul was one of the most important figures 
in, in, in this story of the, the, that God has for, for all of history, except that Paul understand that every role, every single role, is just as important as another. We just all have a particular place that God's designed for us. And your role is just as important as my role. Our roles are just as important as the Apostle Paul's role. But he was a man who understood the mission of God. And he was writing to his protege, Timothy, who was the teaching pastor at Ephesus Church, one of the most important churches of the day. Except that every church is very important. In the section that we're reading, the apostle instructed his young charge not only to fulfill his responsibilities in God's story, but to prepare others to do so in Ephesus church. I mean, think about it. We're here today because Timothy and the others who were given that responsibility of passing the gospel on did exactly that. I would imagine that somewhere around A.D. 65, somewhere in the mid-60s, Paul and Peter were both executed. Apostles Paul and Peter were both executed somewhere within a year apart of one another. And don't you imagine that a lot of people who were just casual observers says, well, that, said, well, that's it for the church. Boy, that's the end of that. We won't hear any more of this. But it wasn't Paul's church. It wasn't Peter's church. It was and is Jesus' church. Now, one more thing about our reading. You're going to find some of the verses on the screen highlighted. It's not because these verses are more important than the other verses. It's because the highlighted sections are emphasizing our main point today, which is passing on the treasure, this treasure of the gospel that we have to others according to the story that God has written for us. Indeed, some of the verses that are not highlighted are the very message that we are supposed to share. So it's not saying... This is a big deal. This is not. It's just where our focus is this morning. Verse 8. And, and I'm going to stop along the way. It, it, this first section, we're going to read this long sentence and then one more sentence. So get what you can. We won't be coming back on the screen. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Let me just say, Paul was in prison awaiting execution. He knew that he was going to die. Don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Even as Paul faced certain death, he had no regrets about his choices. He had no doubt about what road he was on, the road of redemption that was leading to final restoration. He knew that in the very near future, he was going to see Jesus, the one whose mission he had sought to fulfill all these years on life and for, what, for whom he had suffered so much. So here at the beginning of this last letter 
to Timothy. Paul tells him he's not ashamed in any way. He's not ashamed of Jesus, and he's not ashamed to share the gospel with the world. It, it was important for Paul to say this to Timothy because all indications are that Timothy was a very fearful individual. And he was kind of shaking in his boots kind of guy. And look, it wasn't like today where, you know, I stand up and, and for the most part, you're okay. You're not going to boo me or, you know, throw me in jail or whatever. Look, there are great indications that it was the church, for goodness sake, the church at Rome that turned in both Paul and Peter to the authorities. Well, how tragic is that? Outside of the church, there were people wanting to kill the leaders of the church in that early day because they thought they could snuff it out. They, they misunderstood. They said, we, we take care of these, these charismatic individuals. We can set this thing to rights, and, and we won't hear any more of this mess. So it was important for Paul to say, I, I'm not ashamed, Timothy. And he said, not only have I been called to salvation, I've been appointed a preacher, an apostle, a teacher. I've been called a ministry according to God's purpose and plan. And he's already told Timothy in earlier verses, so have you. So have you. Now verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Two, two questions. First, what is that good deposit? And two, and second, who entrusted it to Timothy? The first answer is that the good deposit is the gospel. You've been entrusted with the gospel Timothy, Paul would be passing off this scene in the very near future, and someone had to guard or protect the gospel or protect it in its purity as it was passed on to others. In answering the second question, we have to acknowledge that, that Paul must have thought very highly of Timothy because he was entrusting him with the most important message that, as far as Paul was concerned, the most important message in the world, as far as we're concerned, it is too. I'm sure that Paul was a bit concerned about Timothy. I mean, he was so timid. He just might not make it without Paul being there to encourage him and strengthen him. He may not make it. I mean, was it because Paul had no other choice? <laughs> not at all. Paul had great confidence in Timothy because he had great confidence in the Lord. It wasn't Timothy who was choosing, or, or Paul who was choosing Timothy. It was God who was choosing Timothy. I mean, if God had been concerned about the health of the gospel after Paul, he would have kept Paul alive for a lot longer until somebody better could have been put in place. See, and that's, that, don't you think sometimes, why have I been given this responsibility? There are others who could, oh, I just wish I could think like so-and-so or talk like so-and-so. God put you there. It wasn't somebody... God put you there. It's not by mistake that you are the one interacting with your neighbors, your co-workers, your roommates, your sweet mates. God had a reason for putting you there. 
And that person that you think so highly of isn't near what you think he or she is. Just not all that at all. It was the Holy Spirit living in both Paul and Timothy who ensured that the Father's plan to spread the message of his son's sacrifice to the world would continue. Man, you see the Trinity over and over and over in Scripture. While it is the Holy Spirit's carrying out God's plan, the Holy Spirit who is the one carrying out God's plan, it's without question that the Father's plan includes you and me. God has given us the responsibility of passing the gospel on from one generation to the next, from, from mature believer to, to new Christian in the faith, or the one who, who trusted Christ but somewhere seems to have gotten a little bit stuck. You'll notice in these next verses that some people fall away, but some rise to the level of significant service, even when it's dangerous. Verse 15, you were aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom were Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. If you don't know how to, he's an important person in Scripture. Little known as compared to the others, but he's important. If you can't pronounce a name, just say the big O. I wonder if Paul ever called him big O. Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me that at the risk of his own freedom. When you, when you sought out a person condemned to death in that day, eyebrows were raised. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Now chapter 2, and the pattern for discipleship in making disciples. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, you get this, don't you? Pass it down. And by the way, isn't it interest, interesting? He says, entrust this gospel to faithful people. Not, well, just give it to somebody who's sort of half committed and maybe that'll bring them along. No, God says, find the character and then pass it on. Find character that God has already established in these people and then pass it on so that they can, in turn, each others. We're going to talk about how we can do that at grace for the remainder of our service. But as we finish the text, you'll see the seriousness of our call. Verse 3. Share in suffering. It's just part of it. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. As an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Think it over. Now, we've talked about a good bit about growth in these past few weeks. Uh, Allison has already mentioned it this morning. Uh, indeed, not, not only have our numbers begun to grow, but we anticipate more growth, if for no other reason that so many people, as you heard Sean talk about last week, are going to be moving into our area in the next five to ten years. 
But God help us if we're seeking church growth without gospel growth. It's not numbers that we're concerned about. We just want the gospel to multiply. And so we're talking about gospel growth here at Grace Community Church. We may anticipate numerical growth, but our mission is to work for gospel growth. And when I say work for gospel, we do it as we've seen over and over in our text in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it's not like God saves us because we can't do anything to save ourselves. And then we say, okay, thank you, God. I'll take it from here. No, everything is done in the power in the leadership of the Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' church, not ours. We proclaim Jesus, not ourselves. That's true of our church as it is of all churches. But our church can only be as strong as the people of the church, or as the New Testament would say it, we're only as strong as the bricks and the stones of this building. We're only as strong as all of the various parts of this body. I mean, if, if our church has a great left arm, but a bum right knee, we're limited in what we can do. We need every part functioning as it's supposed to be if we're going to be effective as a body. So it's time to evaluate where we are. Where, well, actually, it's time, let me be more specific, it's time for you to evaluate where you are. Believe you me, I've been doing this all week. I've, I've doing, I try to do it regularly, but I have really been doing this this week. Where are you in your relationship with Christ? Well, I, I'm going to expect all but a few of you are going to be able to find yourself on the list that's on the screen, which is really a progression of the life that we have in Christ that is heading toward fulfilling Jesus' mission for us in His church. Some of you are just now getting interested in church. Maybe for the first time in your life. It may may be that you're intrigued with Jesus for the first time. And and the Bible is just now beginning to make sense to you. I mean, you've read it and you're thinking like, really? I'm supposed to understand that? I'm supposed to live my life based. But now it's beginning to make sense. And it's exciting. It's an exciting place to be. Some of you have taken the next step and you believe the gospel. You've been baptized. You've said to the world, I belong to Jesus. Either that or you're getting ready to be soon. If, you, if, if you're trusting Christ and you've not been baptized, please talk to me. We want for you to take that very important step. I mean, I mean the way the Scripture presents it, why would you profess Jesus without being baptized? Now you've begun to grow rapidly, moving into the next step of your Christian walk, spiritual growth. And by the way, you're going to be in this stage for the rest of your life. This is where it starts to get a little bit, you know, it, it's kind of, there are, there's a wide range of where people are spiritually in their walk with Christ. What does that mean to grow spiritually? It, 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 first of all, it, it's seen by an increasing understanding of Scripture. Now, this may probably, if you're just a brand new Christian, You're going to learn more in this next year about the Bible than you will the rest of your life put together, probably. It's just that way. We just, when we're we're ravenous for the Word, not just hungry, ravenous. But I don't care where you are as a believer, you need to be learning more and more about Scripture. That's an indication of spiritual growth. Uh, It it, is going to be such that you are drawn more and more to prayer. 
you're interested in Bible studies. You want to learn everything you can about Bible and about God. Your heart is stirred to give, and 10% is not a burden. It's a minimum. And the list goes on. You see it, and it's far from complete. The last stage in this particular list is disciple maker. Not just a disciple, not just one who is following Jesus, but one who is helping others to do the same thing. This may mean uh, uh, that this person is is a ministry team leader or even a trainer of leaders, but it may not. We're all called to be disciple makers. And clearly those who are leading the church need to be that above all else. But all of us are supposed to be. And it's going to look very different. Some of you say, oh, I'm so timid and shy. I could never. No, but there are ways that you can help others to grow in their closeness with Christ. And when a timid person speaks out for Jesus, my goodness, what? Look, when a big mouth like me says it, it's expected. When a timid person speaks up for Jesus, that gets people's attention in a serious way. And by the way, you may be doing awesome things outside of Grace Community Church, but if God has called you to be a part of this body, he expects you to be doing awesome things inside this church as well. Take a quick look at this chart. If your name were up there instead of Bob or Mary or Clark, where would you be? I mean, would you be the one who is just now really getting interested, or are you a mature Christian ready to disciple others? I want to say something, and I want you to let this sink in. You need to be connected with either people who are not as far along as you or people who are further along than you. And in most of our cases, you need to be connected with people on both sides of the equation. On this chart, Bob needs to be pursuing Clark, a brand new believer who wants to grow in Christ. At the same time, Gene needs to seek help from Susan in order to grow deeper in the Word and in Jesus. And who's going to help Mary understand this exciting yet confusing new world? Who's going to be there when the Marys and the Johns show up brand new? And there's so much they want to know, but there's nobody to really tell them. And all they get Sunday morning in home group and There's so much more and they know it. So where are you on this chart? Are you interacting with anyone else? Let's go back to the list for a moment. I would imagine that most of you are going to fall into this third category, the spiritual growth section. Actually, many of you were there at one time, but something happened, and you're not there anymore. There are so many reasons that you lost the fire, the passion for serving the Lord. So many different things that can happen to keep you from being where you once were. The reasons really aren't that important. You think they are, but they're not. 
Well, you know, so-and-so for this. So why this happened to me? And why did God take this person from me? And what a... It doesn't matter. See, we're, we're so busy thinking we're getting out of this life alive that this is all that matters. It doesn't, folks. It's gold before we know it. In the blink of an eye, we're done. My daughter Autumn, pregnant with our eighth grandchild who will be born next month. I never thought I'd be that guy, but I am, I know. Um, this week, uh, she may not want me telling this, it's too late, I've already started. This week, uh, she went to the doctor for a routine visit, and she said, I've had this, you know, blurriness and spots in one eye. They said, go get an MRI. Her mother died four years ago with a brain tumor. Now, Autumn, who is OCD, and a lot, she, again, she would tell you quickly, that's me, um, had a calmness and a peace, probably way more than I did. Uh, Allison and I were driving to the mountains while she was getting the MRI and waiting for the results. And I, you know, how, how, how can you even think about? And she is statistically more likely than you to get a brain tumor. Not still very low, but still she's more statistically likely. Just like those of you who have cancer in your family, you, you, you know the deal. And I'm just thinking, how, do you, how, how would you even, you know, because your mind starts going places. And, and you know what? Don't make sense of anything. Just trust. Don't try to make sense of it. Just trust. But here's something for sure. This life is a blink. And we're done. And only what we do in fulfilling our mission is going to make a hill of beans worth of difference when we stand before Jesus. And only if we fulfilled it in the right way, according to the gospel. Letting Him lead us and not doing it in the, in, in the power of the flesh. So the reason that you walked away or the reason that you quit serving doesn't matter. What does matter is that you take stock of where you are and you repent. Look, the Christian life is a life of repentance. I've been repenting all week. Especially as I've thought about this serious call to service this morning. I've been repenting of the areas that are not what they ought to be. Repentance can sound, repent can sound like such a harsh, judgmental word when somebody says it. Repent! It is a beautiful, repentance is a beautiful gift from God. Allison prayed on the way over here. She knew what I would be talking about. And she prayed that God would help you discern between guilt and the, Holy, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful prayer. This is not a guilt thing. This is the Holy Spirit saying, if you will just confess where you are and turn to me, even as you're repenting, there is incredible joy about being in the place that God has designed for you to be. So this morning, you're going to have an opportunity to do that. We rarely have an altar call here at Grace Community Church. Sean and I have talked about it, maybe doing it a little bit more. We rarely have them, but this morning we're going to have one. Just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to pray. The band's going to come back up. 
and lead us and Jesus paid it all. And you're going to have an opportunity to come this morning just to, just to kneel at the front and say, Lord, there's just some things I need to give over to you. And look, just because if you come this morning, we're not assuming that you're one of those that really needs to, you know, clean it up. And go. It, the most sensitive ones are the ones who will be up here first, most likely. If you come, that's between you and God. I don't care whether you get up here or not. What I do care about is that you do business with the Lord in the ways that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you this morning. Let's stand together and let's bow for prayer.